Well, what happens when you begin to think about the person next door to you as a family member? That's the question I want to noodle on with you for the next six weeks uh, as we go through this new series called Next Door. What happens when you begin to think about the person next door as a family member? You know, the kid with the skateboard, niece. The guy with the old um, beard and the cane, grandfather. The uh, person with the loud dog and the oil stains and the road, brother. What happens when you think of them as family? Well, this is a question that's driven by one of the smallest books in the New Testament called Philemon. It's a story about three characters, Paul the Apostle, a man named Philemon who was led to faith by Paul and became Paul's friend and ministry partner, probably in Ephesus. And then another man named Onesimus who was held as a slave by Philemon in Philemon's house, but who had just given his life to Jesus Christ. What happens when these three people begin to think about each other as family? Well, let's Take a look. Well, let's open our Bibles to Philemon. There's only one chapter, but verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 16. Take a moment and either pull out your Bible or navigate on your phone on an app. We read the New Revised Standard Version, but any version will do. And open to Philemon. If you're turning pages here like I am in a paper book, I find it easiest to go to Hebrews and then turn back one page because uh, Philemon is oftentimes just one sheet of paper. It's very hard to find. I'm going to read this, and I would invite you to read it along with me, and then when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so then you can say, if you believe it, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. We're reading God's holy word. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's skip to verse 8. Continues, For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, <clears throat> now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child, <clears throat> excuse me, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Philemon. What we learn here is when Jesus makes his family the world begins to change. You get a little bit of a window into a first century house here, don't we? You may know that the first believers, followers of Jesus, they gathered 
in a house. And the word they use for that is oikos. Oikos means house or family. And here in this little letter, there's a, a window into that house. We see three believers negotiating a new reality, new relationships, new identity. So let's back up. What's the story behind this letter? Let me share it with you in three acts. Um, this is a, a letter that we kind of have to put the pieces together. Those of you who study this letter, together with the letter of Colossians, can get a sense of the narrative and these three acts. So here, the first one is this, leaving the house, act one, leaving the house. Onesimus leaves this house. It's, it's, it's been a house of slavery to him. The house is in Colossae. And there Onesimus has been toiling away as a slave to a man named Philemon. They live in this house in Colossae. A house of slavery is not a, a pleasant house to live in. And Onesimus begins the action of this drama by leaving the house. He takes off. And uh, it may have been that he had had some kind of a dispute with Philemon. Some people even think that Onesimus stole something on his way out. That's speculative. Uh, but he leaves. So leaving the house, act one. And then now act two, coming to faith. Onesimus goes to Rome. That's a long ways for a runaway slave, but um, it was a place that many slaves would go. So he takes a thousand-mile journey and goes to Rome. As it happens, the apostle Paul is there in Rome. He's in another house. Paul's been arrested. He's under house arrest for preaching the good news of Jesus. And somehow these two men meet. Now, is it an accident, as we sometimes say? Or did Onesimus seek out Paul because he knows that Paul is a friend of his master, Philemon? We're not sure, but either way, Paul does what he always does and shares the good news of Jesus with Onesimus, and Onesimus gives his life to Christ. That's Act 2, coming to faith. And then finally, Act 3, living as family. Now, this act hasn't yet begun when the letter is written. The letter is sent between Act 2 and Act 3, but Act 3 is what the Apostle Paul is praying will happen. It's what he wants to happen. So Paul's in Rome, and he's writing a letter to the church in Colossae. We, we just think of it as Colossians, the epistle to the Colossians. He's writing that letter from Rome. And he thinks, well, I'll send another letter, a more personal letter, directly along to my friend Philemon about Onesimus, whom I've just met here in Rome. And so he sends both letters to Colossians and to Philemon, together with a delegation, back to Colossae. And then Paul adds on Onesimus, this uh, slave who's departed, to the delegation. Sends Onesimus back to Philemon with these two letters. What Paul's praying will happen is... Philemon reads the letter, realizes Onesimus is a brother, and he frees him, sets him free. And ideally, it seems like Paul wants Onesimus to go back to Rome and continue with helping Paul with their gospel uh, ministry. Oikos means house. By the way, it's also the word for family. Oikos, family. When Jesus makes us family, the world begins to change, starting with slavery. I mean, some of us have thought the Apostle Paul seems too soft on slavery. Uh, it, can we take the Bible seriously if it doesn't condemn slavery outright? I mean, could we worship a God who tolerates the enslavement 
of people? I mean, these are really important questions. And it is true that this letter to Philemon doesn't come right out and categorically say all slavery must end and must end now, like we wish it would. It doesn't. And it is true that people have taken Philemon and other writings of Paul and in the Bible out of context and use them to justify the horrors of slavery. But all this misses the point. Frederick Louis Godot, the Swiss theologian of the 19th century, writes this, this passage may certainly be called the first petition in favor of the abolition of slavery. And around the same time, 19th century, uh, J.B. Lightfoot said, in the New Testament in general, and in Philemon in particular, a principle is boldly enunciated, which must in the end prove fatal to slavery. And how does this letter do that? With a motif, with one word, family, family. Notice how Paul the Apostle identifies the various characters in this drama. God, father, Timothy, brother, Apphia, sister, Philemon, brother, Paul, father, Onesimus, son, brother. All this is family. This is just what Jesus does, right? A woman with a 12-year hemorrhage, Jesus says, daughter, Matthew 9, 18, 22. A paralytic, Jesus says, son, Mark 2, 5. A woman bent over for 18 years, daughter, he calls her, Luke 23, 28. Mary, his mother, to John at the foot of the cross as he's dying, he says, your mother, your son. The disciples at the empty tomb after he's risen from the dead, and Peter, who has just betrayed him, and Jesus says, brothers. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's Colossians 1.18 and Romans 8.29. This is talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and a new birth in all who give their lives to Jesus. You'll be born again, and you'll be born into this new family of many brothers, and Jesus is our elder brother, firstborn from the dead. That's what Jesus does. Paul knows it, and he's reminding Philemon. Listen again to verses 15 and 16. He says, perhaps this is the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you, Philemon, for a while, so that you may have him back forever, no longer as a slave. See, that's, he's saying slavery is out now. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh, meaning not just spiritually, but in the flesh as well, socially. This is the kind of justice that's breaking out in the flesh and in the Lord. See, the motif of family starts to drive change for the early followers of Jesus. I've experienced this myself. I'll remember when I just came to faith as a young college student. I had an active dating life, and I came across 1 Timothy 5.2, where Paul says, treat young women like sisters. And I thought, oh, my goodness, really? And, and that motif of sister changed the way I dated. Treat them as sisters, Paul writes, with absolute purity. Oh. So what, Paul, what Philemon is learning here is that when you see me as brother, it becomes impossible for you to hold me as a slave. 
And, and what Onesimus is, is, is learning, when you see me as a child, there's nothing you won't do to help me. By the way, if you want to read more about slavery in Philemon, I would recommend Esau Macaulay's book, Reading While Black. He's got an excellent section on this. And also Philip Payne, one of our own members, has written a great brief little article. Just Google Philip Payne and Philemon, and that article will come up. Very helpful. Well, what I'm saying is that when Jesus makes us family, the world begins to change. But what about our families? How could a motif change the world that hardly seems to be doing the job under our own roofs, right? The experience of family for so many of us is just an experience of hurt and woundedness. I think of my own children, right? Um, the other day I was riding my bicycle through a neighborhood here in Seattle. And I came upon a sign, this big white sign, with red letters on it, large letters, and they said, Art Competition. And you're thinking, oh, great, I love the art scene in Seattle. My first thought was what I would give for a red marker and an F, you know? <laughs> like, should I go home or there's a store, buy the marker and come back? I've just got to put an F on that sign that says art competition. <laughs> okay. Now I'm thinking, this is my, the only notion my kids have had of father has been me. <laughs> so you pray for my children. But the truth is, our families today are under great pressure. Caught an article in the New York Times just a couple weeks ago, and the author was writing about the spiking levels of depression and anxiety that we're experiencing in our adolescence these days. It's quite dramatic, and we've all been assuming that it's related to social isolation. Studies out of Yale are showing, no, it's not social isolation. You know what it is? It's, quote, a culture of achievement. It's pressure to achieve. And they feel that in the society. They feel that in our families as well. We're driving this on our children. We're under pressure. And here's the thing. When family becomes too important to us, it becomes an idol to us. And, 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 and when you turn your children, when you turn your boyfriend, your, your spouse into an idol, you give them a gift they will not thank you for. One of the many shows that we've been sort of forced to stream recently during the pandemic, I was struck by this this, this theme of family, not changing the world for better, but actually for worse. The main character is a, is a man who says, family is number one for me. Family is most important. It's supreme for me. And what's good for my family is good in some absolute sense. And it ends up driving him to a life of crime and a lot of pain and hurt. What do you do with an idol? Well, it's, the Bible says they have eyes but don't see. They have ears but don't hear. And at the end of the day, you throw in the fire and warm yourself by it. We can't do this with our kids or our spouses. So we have to put family in proper place, you see. And, and we need to raise the question, when the Bible speaks of family, or more particularly when Paul speaks of family here for Philemon, what does he mean? What is the character of this family in Philemon's house, the character of the family that is a house or an oikos? Well, I think we see it in the final phrase of the, of the letter. If you just look down to the, to the end of the letter, you see the last sentence there. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, there are two things to notice very quickly there. One is Jesus 
is Lord, meaning king, grace of the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the Lord, not me, not my fear, not my ambition, not my pride, not what I want my family to look like or turn out to be, not my spouse, not my children. Jesus is the supreme good. Jesus is true north. Jesus is the one that gets to say what's good and what's not good. He's the Lord. And then the second thing to notice in that sentence is that we have grace in our spirits. Those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord have grace in their spirits. And it's been widely noted by commentators that there's such a sweet tone to this letter. Right? It's just so kind and honoring. Um, notice so that the way the authority of Jesus gets worked out in this family, it's through grace, grace, grace. And I think if the motif of family isn't driving change under our roofs, maybe it's because we're misunderstanding grace under the lordship of Jesus. You see, when, when you and I see wrong in our world, we tend to do one of two things. We tend oftentimes to judge people. Right? We call them out. We offer words of condemnation. We say, you jerk, right? Get out, man. Or, on the other hand, sometimes we don't want to disrupt the friendship or the relationship. We want to stay in relationship, so we just ignore. We kind of tolerate people. I tolerate you, as much as we want to say sometimes in the culture. Uh, we just say, you do you. We offer words of affirmation, right? And Paul could do either of those things, but he doesn't. This is what's so countercultural about this family. Paul could judge. He could say, hey, Philemon, slavery is wrong. Don't you know? Jesus sets the captives free. There is no place for you as a slaveholder in this house. Get out, you jerk. He doesn't do that, though. He says to Philemon, our dear friend, that means beloved, our beloved and co-worker. That's verse 1. See, he honors Philemon. He could judge Philemon, or he could just tolerate Philemon. He could go, you know, look, Philemon, your house, your rules, you do you. Just words of affirmation, keep it up, buddy. He doesn't do that. Look at verse 8. He says, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty. So this is a really a different kind of family, isn't it? This is a family where the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ brings transformation. I want to shout out uh, Scott Scruggs and Dud Scott Dudley, my friends, for a little insight on this. Scott Dudley says, the problem with tolerance is that it says no change is necessary. The problem with judgmentalism is it says no change is possible. Grace says change is both necessary and possible through Jesus. Isn't that good? I, that's very helpful to me. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ brings together two things. Moral discernment, there is right and wrong, and uh, uh, unconditional love. I hold on to you no matter what with love. And we see that. That's, that, that's the culture of the cross. That's what God does for us and Jesus on the cross. And it's the culture of this family, which Jesus is Lord, where grace is in our spirits. When Jesus makes us family, the world begins to change. And I got to say, I, the world just needs family like this today. It's hurting for family like this today. And the early church, they had a phrase for this kind of family. They called it oikonomia. 
And maybe you hear the word oikos at the beginning of that. Oikonomia is a, a compound word with the word oikos, meaning house or family, and no, no, nomia or nomos, namos, meaning law or principle or rule. And, and you put them together and you get oikonomia. This is where we get our English word economy. And it was used by the Roman Empire to talk about their, their economy or their commonwealth. And the Christians, the followers of Jesus, saw something better in Jesus, and they ripped off that term, and they started talking about the culture of the house, the economy of the house, the principle of the house under the lordship of Jesus Christ with his grace. And it, and it changed the world. This is a historical fact. It, it, it was attractive and expansive. They didn't set out to change the Roman Empire, but they did. People wanted more of this. They wanted this Jesus as they saw him lived out in the lives of this community in house after house, wherever they were. They were drawn to faith in Jesus. One little glimpse of that comes from a man named Justin Martyr, who was an adult convert around the 80, uh, year AD 150. He tried to explain it for the people in his life. He said, we who formerly delighted in fornication, but now embrace chastity alone. We who formerly used magical arts dedicated, dedicate ourselves to the good and unbegotten God. We who valued above all things the acquisition of wealth and possessions now bring what we have into a common stock and communicate that wealth to everyone in need. We who hated and destroyed one another, I mean, it sounds like the last year, right? Now, since the coming of Christ, live familiarly with them and pray for our enemies. See, what he's saying is change is possible. Change is necessary and possible through Jesus. And notice how that change happens. He talked familiarly. It happens when we live as family with one another and with others, even our adversaries, he says. Wow. So we see this new oikonomia, this beautiful culture, when we look through this window of Philemon's oikos. I, I love this little, it's, um, what do you call it? When you look through somebody else's window, it's, um, oh, the word is escaping me, but you're just peeking in out of curiosity. And uh, that's what I love about this, this short little book. We see three people, followers of Jesus all, working out the implications of the good news. The new reality that has obtained now that God has become a human being, died on the cross, rose from the dead, forgave our sins, ascended to the heaven, poured out the Holy Spirit, and they're going, what does it mean now that we are children of God? What does it mean now that we're brothers and sisters to each other? They're living out the reality we read about in Galatians 3.28. We're no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. All of us are one in Christ Jesus. And as you look in this, you realize, okay, this is really uncomfortable. They're having a hard time of it. But it's also really beautiful. I mean, I find myself drawn to this. These are the people that are going to confront race. They're going to free slaves. They're going to elevate women. They're going to give to the poor. They're going to care for the sick. They're going to adopt orphans and children abandoned on doorsteps, make them their own. Because Jesus has made us God's family. And we know God's intent is for all people to be made as his family. 
And so we're living as brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandmothers and cousins with our neighbors. And I want to be a part of this family. I mean, don't you want to be a part of this family? I want my neighbors all to be a part of this family. I want everyone I love to be a part of this family, even people, honestly, that are hard to love. I want this reality in my life. And I think it's so significant. As we crawl out of the pandemic now, I can't think of anything that the world needs right now more than this kind of family. As we come out of the season of darkness, this is the beauty that we've been craving. Family. When Jesus makes his family, the world begins to change. All right. Next steps. What are your next steps going to be as we go next door together these next six weeks? Well, I, I want to invite you to follow the example of our brother Onesimus. And, and I won't tell you what the next step is for you, but you'll make that decision. Here's some suggestions. First of all, you might be in Act 1. Remember that? Act 1 is leaving the house. <laughs> it is time for us to start leaving the house. Yes, get the shots. Yes, wear the mask when you need to. But let's get outside. The other day, my wife, Ann, she noticed these two kind of dents in our couch. <laughs> okay, it is time for the sofa cushions to sort of reclaim their original height. And so, you know, what's the next step for you to get out of the house? Well, Onesimus had the courage in that house to say, you know what, what's going on in this house is not God's best for me. And he left it behind. Now, I don't know what that is for you, but maybe it's simply leaving behind isolation, connecting with people. Maybe it's leaving behind bad habits. Uh, maybe it's leaving behind destructive relationships. Ask the Lord, he will lead you. But for you, it might be time to leave the house in some way. Or you, maybe you're in act two, coming to faith. Uh, the Bible tells us Jesus is knocking on the door of all of our houses. He wants to come in. You may be hearing that knocking somehow at this point in your life through crisis or joys or whatever it is. You go, I think Jesus is trying to get my attention. You've been beginning to read the Bible and try to make sense of the story of Jesus, and you started to pray a little bit, much to your own surprise. Not sure that you're ready to give your whole life to Christ yet now. Do you really trust him? But this might be the act that you're in right now. God might have put you here at this crossroad for a purpose. He's knocking on the door of your life. And Onesimus had the courage to open that door. He didn't know everything. All his questions weren't answered. But he knew enough about Jesus to trust him. After all, this is a God who came as a slave to free us all, to free us from the burden of sin and death came to give us a new family, to birth in us a new life, to let his Holy Spirit bring transformation to our lives. I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus if this is where you are. Say yes to him. Take a moment right now, actually, and come to upc.org slash Jesus. I mean, right at this very moment, we have a team of friendly people who are so eager to talk to you and pray with you. So if you, if you come to upc.org slash Jesus, click the button that says pray with somebody now, it'll initiate a Zoom contact uh, with one of our spiritual advisors. I hope you'll do that. They'd love to talk with you. Uh, leaving the house, coming to faith. Maybe you've already done both of those things. Now you're in Act 3, living as family. If that's for you, then it's time for you to begin with a neighbor. Would you ask Jesus to bring to mind a neighbor, maybe across the hall, maybe a different room in your house, maybe across the street? Whoever it is, Lord, bring that person to my mind, and then help me to think of them 
as a family member. I mean, just go there for a second. What starts to change in you when you think about that person as a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a sister? As you explore that motif, then begin to take action accordingly. You might surprise them and delight them with your love. All right, let's start there. There's more to come, but for now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the joy it is to know that there is no other Lord but you, the one who came for us in love, embraces us just the way we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way and calls us through your Holy Spirit into a life of transformation. You are Lord. We pray that you'll pour out through your Holy Spirit a full measure of grace in our lives, that it will be pressed down, running over, and overflowing into the lives of people around us. Help us to live like family, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.